0: Someone has said that sheep are a good argument against the survival of the fittest. Uh, They're not particularly smart. They easily get into difficulty. Uh, They aren't able to defend themselves and they follow one another into danger. Uh, If it was about the survival of the fittest, uh, sheep would have been extinct long ago. Uh, And yet God created sheep to show us what we are like to take away any illusions of self-sufficiency, to humble our pride, but also to prepare us for the amazing news that there is a shepherd to care for us. I wonder, is there anyone here this morning and you feel that God doesn't care about you? Perhaps because of how your life has turned out or maybe because of specific circumstances you're facing just now, Maybe you feel that God, he cares about others in the church, but but you're just not sure whether he cares about you. Or perhaps you've started coming to church because after years of thinking that God doesn't care, you've begun to think that maybe he does. Uh, Well, if so, here's part of God's word that speaks exactly uh, to that question, to God's care for his sheep. And so we're going to look at this passage under the theme of the good shepherd's care for his sheep under three headings. Uh, The first way these verses highlight Jesus' care uh, for us is by comparison. And so our first point this morning is that there are people who don't care. There are people who don't care. And you don't need me to tell you that this morning. There are people in the world who will do things to hurt you. Uh, And it's clear that they don't care about you. But there are also people who will do things to help you. But they're just doing those things out of duty or because of how it will look to others. And so even though they may actually be helping you rather than hurting you, they don't actually care about you either. And Jesus gives us examples of both these categories of people in these verses. Firstly, there are those who actually want to do you harm. Jesus has just said in verse 8, All who came before me were thieves and robbers. He's talking there about false messiahs. Those who wanted to lead people astray. The Jews had been waiting for the Messiah for a thousand or for thousands of years, and every so often someone would come along and say it 's me i 'm god 's chosen one i 'm the Messiah. everyone needs to listen to me and follow me. But all they wanted to do was exploit people for their own self interest uh, they were thieves and robbers and then here in verse twelve, Jesus talks about wolves. Boys and girls you know that if you read about a wolf in the story the wolf isn't going to be a good character but the wolf is going to want to hurt people and when Jesus talks about wolves he's talking about those who want to hurt people in the church either through false teaching uh, for saying what's wrong or by by persecuting uh, those in the church and today we still have thieves, robbers and wolves. Sadly many of them stand in pulpits. They are ordained ministers but they teach that there are many ways to heaven. They teach that Jesus isn't God. They teach that his miracles weren't real. They teach that, that his death, it was a nice gesture but it, it didn't pay for anybody's sins There are also thieves and robbers who knock on your door from time to time. Uh, They may be nice, well-dressed people. They may not even fully realise that they're wolves, some of them, but they're trying to lead you astray. Uh, And in our day and age, it's not just people knocking on your door. Uh, Last week I was watching uh, the the testimony of of a Christian minister uh, from Wales on YouTube. He, He was speaking about how he'd become a Christian and the video that, that was automatically queued up to play after that uh, was one from the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. In other words, from the Mormons, uh, which which isn't a Church of Jesus Christ at all. And... Just imagine I had sent that, that video to uh, someone who, who wasn't a Christian or someone who was interested in Christianity or exploring and if the same thing had happened to them, if the, the algorithms had, had queued up a, a, a video from, from the, the Mormons, they would have been listening to wolves. So there are those who want to lead people astray but how different is our Lord Jesus the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy I came that they may have life and have it abundantly so that's one category of people who don't care about you but there are also others who do try to do you good but who still don't actually care about you in verse 12 Jesus says that as the shepherd who owns the sheep he is very different from the hired hand so what's a hired hand well a hired hand is someone who's paid to look after the sheep uh, most uh, farmers uh, they they work in the farm themselves but they also have people working to them uh, that's what a hired hand is Uh, But but the type of hired hand that Jesus is talking about is only doing the work for what he can get out of it. Uh, Verse 13 says plainly he doesn't care about the sheep. And so when he sees the wolf coming he's not going to hang around. He's not going to put himself in danger in order to try and save sheep that he cares nothing about. Now obviously Jesus isn't uh, trying to give us lessons in farming here. The hired hand is meant to represent someone. Uh, So who is that? Well the hired hand represents those who do teach the truth but do so for the wrong reasons. The minister who's just in it for the money. The evangelist who perhaps preaches the gospel to huge stadiums of people. But his only interest is in counting the number of conversions, professions of faith and increasing his own reputation. The elder who serves because of the status he thinks it will give him. And these aren't new problems. It's not as if we could get rid of all these problems by going back to the early church the Apostle Paul told the church in Philippi some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry the hired hand doesn't actually care about the sheep and so if it's a choice between uh, protecting the sheep and looking out for his own comfort he'll choose his own comfort and he'll disappear showing that he never actually cared about the sheep in the first place And the great contrast as we'll see in a moment is with the Lord Jesus who rather than running away goes out to face the wolf to save the sheep. Hired hands run away from the wolf. The Lord Jesus runs to the wolf to fight it and protect the sheep. But just before we see how different Jesus is, I think it's worth asking the question, what should our attitude be to such people? Uh, thinking particularly of the hired hand because most of us would probably say well if someone doesn't care about me I'm not going to listen to them if someone's only checking up on me because it's their job I'm not interested but it came a quote this week by the early church father Augustine which challenges that assumption and, and even we see from this chapter that the hired hand does still feed the sheep Even if his motives are wrong, Augustine says that the passage in front of us tells us what we ought to desire, what we ought to endure, and what we ought to avoid in churches. So, what should we desire? We should desire men who will minister to us like the Good Shepherd, those who will genuinely care about us. What should we avoid? we should avoid those who teach what's false Uh, we should avoid them like the super spreaders that they are Uh, we, we should avoid them like the plague but Augustine has a third category as well and that is to endure if what someone is saying is true you should still listen to them in other words it's not enough of a reason to stop going to church just because you don't think the minister cares about you In fact, even if he actually doesn't care about you, that doesn't mean you can't go to another gospel preaching church. Instead, you probably should. People in Augustine's day didn't have that option. Maybe just one church in in the town or or the village. Uh, You you had no option to, to jump in a car and go elsewhere. But there's no warrant to stop going to church altogether simply because a minister is saying the right things for the wrong reasons. That's backed up by the words of Jesus in Matthew 23, verse 2, where he tells the people, The scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach but do not practice. Now, I hope that's not a position that any of us will will ever be in, having to endure a minister or elder who doesn't actually care about us. But I think we do have a tendency at times to say, well, well, that person doesn't care about me, so I'm not going to listen to them. Maybe we're wrong that they don't care about us. Maybe we're right that they don't care about us. But actually, the bigger question is, is what they're saying true? And if it's true, Jesus wants you to listen to them. You know we, we often write off criticism because we think that the person doesn't care about us, or, or maybe because some of the things that, that the person says is untrue, but if uh, there is an element of truth in what they say, we should listen. So what we should desire, what we should endure, and what we should avoid. But the main reason the illustration of the hired hand is here is to highlight for us just how different the good shepherd is. And so secondly this morning Jesus shows his care by dying for the sheep. Jesus shows his care by dying for the sheep. A phone call that every farmer dreads is one that says there's a dog in among your sheep. Uh, when a farmer hears that he will drop everything and go to the field where the sheep are uh, maybe grabbing his gun on the way worrying how many sheep have potentially been killed already the farmer who owns the sheep heads into a situation like that without even thinking about it Uh, uh, but he's usually not going into a situation where he's risking his life Farmers in the UK have dogs to worry about. Farmers in the Middle East ha- have a bigger list of animals to worry about. The boys and girls will remember what Saul said to David when Saul was trying to stop David fighting Goliath. Do, do you remember what-, what David said to him? Saul said, You're only a youth, you're too young. Uh, whereas uh, David said, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a what did he say? A lion or a bear uh, and took a lamb from the flock. I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. Uh, so there were lions, there were bears and, and the animal mentioned here is a wolf. And a good shepherd shows his care for the sheep, not by running away when the wolf comes, but by going out to, to fight the, sh- the wolf, uh, to, to rescue the sheep from it. That's true of any good shepherd, but the good shepherd does more than that. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And in that, Jesus goes beyond what any mere human shepherd would do. There can have been too many shepherds in the Middle East who died while trying to protect their sheep. And any time that it did happen it would have been an accident. No shepherd would ever have said well I'm going to deliberately give my life in order to keep the sheep safe. But Jesus deliberately, purposefully lays down his life for the sheep. He says in verse 18, no one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. He says "I, I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. His death wasn't a mistake, it wasn't a tragic accident. Rather, it was part of God's plan for all eternity. Jesus says in verse 18 at the end, This charge I have received from my Father. In other words, this was the commission he had received to lay down his life. Occasionally shepherds did die when trying to protect their sheep. But it's not as if they woke up that morning and said, Today I'm going to lay down my life for the sheep. But with Jesus, it's different. It's a, a deliberate, a conscious decision. Laying down his life had been part of the plan all along. The good shepherd lays down his life deliberately, not accidentally. And that is good news. For the shepherd in Palestine to die in an encounter with a wild animal wouldn't actually have been good news. That would have been a disaster for the sheep because they would have been left without a shepherd. So what is it about Jesus' death that means it's good news for us and not bad? With this language of laying down his life for the sheep is a language of sacrifice. When the word for is used in John's gospel it's always talking about sacrifice. For example Jesus says in in chapter 15 greater love is no one than this that someone should lay down his life for his friends in place of his friends. Jesus' death isn't some sort of grand gesture it's not like someone throwing himself off a cliff while shouting see how much I love you that sort of death doesn't actually achieve anything but Jesus' death does the sheep are in mortal danger and he gives his life to save us he takes the punishment that we deserve and no one else can do that for you This chapter in front of us is one that we turn to during our sermon series on elders. Ministers and elders are to be under shepherds, following in the footsteps of the good shepherd, the chief shepherd. But ministers and elders can't lay down their life for the sheep, or at least they can't save you by their death. A minister or an elder could literally lay down their life for their congregation, Uh, I think of a congregation in America and a gunman comes into the church and an elder is the first one over to him wrestling him to the ground but the gun goes off in the struggle and the elder is killed. In that sense the elder has laid down his life for the sheep but that death can't save anyone. That death can't save the sheep because ministers and elders are sinners too. They're just in as much need of Jesus' sacrifice as everyone else but Jesus' death can save us because of his perfect life and because of who he is his death saves us because of his perfect life and because of who he is we've seen with each of these I am saying so far that none of them are things that any mere human being could say Each of them are in fact claims by Jesus to be God himself. No mere man could say whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. No mere man could claim to be the light of the whole world. No mere man can be the doorway to eternal life. And perhaps even more so than any of the other saying so far when jesus says i am the good shepherd he's claiming to be god who's described as the the shepherd of god's people in the old testament it's god in genesis 48 jacob looks back on his life and talks about the god who has been my shepherd all my life long Uh, we know psalm 23 the lord is my shepherd There's also a great prophecy in Ezekiel chapter 34 when God rebukes the shepherds of Israel for feeding themselves and when he says I will set up over them one shepherd my servant David and he shall feed them and be their shepherd. David was long dead at that point so that was a prophecy of Jesus Christ and so for Jesus to say I am the good shepherd he's claiming to be God And he's claiming to be the fulfillment of the Old Testament hope. And the shepherd laying down his life for us had to be God. Because no mere human being could bear the weight of God's wrath. Not even in an eternity in hell. But on the cross the good shepherd bore the weight of that wrath in place of his sheep. So that's our second point this morning. Jesus shows his care by dying for the sheep. Thirdly and finally, then, Jesus cares for all the sheep in the world and for you as an individual. Jesus cares for all the sheep in the world, but also for you as an individual. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, do you know that you're part of the fulfillment of prophecy? Many prophecies. But the one I want to direct our attention to just now is in verse 16, where Jesus says, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So, what's Jesus talking about there? Who are the other sheep that are not of this fold? Well, who is Jesus speaking to here? He's speaking to the Jews. In in case there's any doubt about that, we can look down to verse 19, which says there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. So Jesus is speaking to a Jewish crowd, some of whom accept what he's saying, others of whom reject it. And so when he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold, he's clearly talking about the Gentiles And he says he's going to bring them in as well. So how has Jesus gone about bringing in the Gentiles like us? Well he encountered some on earth who believed. Uh, Think of the the Canaanite woman who comes to him. Uh, And rather than send her away as the disciples begged him to. uh, He simply tells her I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel which among other things was a test of her faith. And when she responds in faith, Jesus answers her, O woman, great is your faith. But while he was on earth, other than uh, one or two Gentiles here and there, Jesus' focus was on the Jews. But as he says here in John 10, he has other sheep as well, Gentile sheep, and he was going to bring them in too. And he would do that by pouring out his spirit on the apostles and those who would follow them. As he would tell them, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And particularly he would do that through the preaching of the word. And perhaps today you can even sense that he has been drawing you to him as that word is preached. You, a a Gentile Uh, and yet he is drawing you to him Uh, not just because you have a warm feeling inside you 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 may do but because you now actually want to listen to him and he's drawing you to him in fulfilment of of the very verse on the page in front of you what a thought that is Uh, a verse that has been fulfilled time and time again down through the ages And what he wants us to understand here is that as he draws both Jews and Gentiles, they're both added to one flock. Verse 16, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. There won't be a a, a Jewish flock and a separate Gentile flock. The gospel breaks down all these barriers. Speaking of the the division between Jew and Gentile, Paul says in Ephesians 2, He, that is Jesus, has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two and might reconcile us both to God in one body. So the ceremonial law, uh, the sacrifices and so on, uh, that made Jews distinct from Gentiles, it's been abolished. Uh, It's not coming back. We're now united in one body, uh, to use the Apostles' words. And what a joy it is when, when the unity of different nationalities and cultures is pictured in a congregation of God's people. So the care of the Good Shepherd, it's not limited to the Jews, but it extends to Gentiles, even Gentiles living in Scotland. What we're part of today is not something small. Yes, numerically, we're not going to make any headlines, but we're part of the Church of Jesus Christ that stretches throughout history and around the world. And as we sit around the Lord's table, we're spiritually one with those who do the same thing all over the world today. And with those who have done the same thing every single year since Jesus and the apostles sat around the table in that upper room. So we're part of something huge today. Jesus care isn't limited to a certain group or a certain nationality. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't care for us as individuals. Quite the opposite in fact. Look at verse 3. He calls his own sheep by name. A good shepherd won't just know his flock as one random mass of sheep. Where he can't tell the difference between them. But he'll know them individually. And our shepherd knows us as individuals. Our shepherd calls us by name. That's what happens when you first become a Christian. The good shepherd calls you by name. And that's something we know throughout our lives as Christians. Uh, We know uh, the good shepherd who who knows us and calls us by name. And this isn't simply a knowledge of, of information, but a knowledge of delight you know, we, we know certain facts. Uh, maybe last week we, we, we found out certain facts or, or we, we got a letter in the post that informed us of, of facts that we didn't know before but those facts may not have been welcome. Uh, maybe it was a bill or, or, or something like that unexpectedly. Um, but our shepherd, uh, his knowledge of us, it, it's not just a knowledge of information but a knowledge of delight. If you want evidence for that, read the, the Song of Solomon uh, or the Psalms, Psalm 41. By this I know that you delight in me. Christ delights in every one of his sheep. Christ delights in every single one of his sheep. Think of the delight of a grandparent when they have all their grandchildren round the table, especially if they're, they're normally separated by, by distance. I'm not saying that's an exact illustration of the Lord's Supper, but you are today coming to the table of someone who delights in you because you're covered in his righteousness. Jesus cares for, for all his sheep in the world and for you as an individual. And though the two sides of that come together in the Lord's Supper? We come to the Lord's table as part of a body of believers. That's why the idea of someone sitting at home on a computer uh, having communion by themselves is so far from this. We come as a body, but we also come as those who each need to personally meet with the Lord and be strengthened by him. Uh, and in the Lord's table we have both. We have a foretaste of the marriage supper of the Lamb when we will join with every nation, tribe, people and language. And yet we're also able to say as individuals, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. So then, there are people in the world who don't care about you. uh, Some who will harm you, others who will help you. But the Lord's Supper reminds us that there is a good shepherd who cares about us. And who showed that care by laying down his life for us. And who cares for us, yes as a body, but also as individuals. How great a thing it is to know such a shepherd. Amen. Well let's respond to God's word by singing from Psalm 76. Psalm 76 verses 5 to 8 on page 167. We sing in verse 6, Surely the very wrath of man to you will honour bring. And that's ultimately fulfilled in the death of the Good Shepherd. The Jewish leaders and the Romans, they thought they were in control by putting Jesus to death. Satan thought he had won. But actually the Good Shepherd was deliberately, purposefully laying down his life. And all the wrath of man could do was fulfil his great plan from before the foundation of the world to save his sheep and in light of that verse 7 talks about the vows we make to God which we're reminded of at communion Uh, the reason that we uh, who are members once stood uh, at the front of this or another church and made vows to God is because uh, of response to what all God has done for us so psalm 76 5 to 8 we'll stand and sing praise